0: And welcome back to Critical Thinking, Episode 10, Kavarn Revealed. I am John. I'm your host and executive producer here at Final Show Films at John A. Bates on
1: Twitter. And with me today is Jack. Hey, everybody. This is Jack. I'm at Alt F4 Gamers on Twitter.
2: And Jeremy. Hi, I am Jeremy. I am J Thomas, 411 Mania on Twitter.
0: And today we are talking about Critical Role, Episode 10, Kvarn Revealed, <clears throat> which stars Orion Acaba as Tiberius, Laura Bailey as Vexalia, Talzin Jaffe as Percy, Ashley Johnson as Pike, Liam O'Brien as Vaxildan, Marisha Ray as Keyleth, Sam Regal as Scanlan, Travis Willingham as Grog, and as always, Matthew Mercer, the Dungeon Master. Previously on Critical Role, the party was initially sent on a quest into the mountainous region beneath the dwarven city of Craghammer to find a... Uh, halfling paladin uh, Lady Kima of Vord, who had gone missing while on a vision quest uh, that apparently led her to some evil brewing beneath the city. <clears throat> as the party went as the party went in search of her, they ended up finding themselves climbing deeper and deeper into the Underdark, a very scary portion of the subterranean world, encountering numerous beasts, discovering that there was apparently an alliance that had been forged between the Ilithids, the Mind Flayers that lived down there, and the Durgar, who normally are at odds. Um... Uh, being brought together by the machinations of an evil entity that Kima had been hunting by the name of Kavarn. <clears throat> Apparently, uh, he currently resides in the temple that is in the center of the subterranean illithid city of Yugvaril. Um, Vox Machina has made their way down uh, after rescuing Kima from the uh, Doragar uh, fortress of Emberhold. Vox Machina continue to make their way down into a cavern that contains the island that Yogvaril resides upon. They managed to scavenge a few broken boats from the lake that surrounds the island. Percy repaired them, and then they rowed around the outskirts for what seemed to be some sort of beachside cavern. Upon entering the cavern, they found a partially buried chest or container of some kind, uh, what looks like some sort of camp that had been destroyed and scattered, and a few running corpses against the walls. <clears throat> they continued to expect the air- inspect the areas, the corpses began as they continued to to inspect the area, the corpses began to rise in their sitting positions. Um with previous experience in the realm of undead, they know that these creatures carry far more intelligence than your run-of-the-mill zombies. And we pick up our episode with a fight. In uh, almost almost an in res fight. Um, yeah, very much so. Uh, yep. It's like, because like it, like, it, it picks up with Vax telling the others that we're back on the boat, Hey, get in here, we're about to get hit by undead.
3: Pretty
0: um, much. And they just start, con- they converge on him and just start swinging. <coughs> One of them hits, and the magical, and the, the blow apparently has some sort of magical force that causes him to sort of lock up in place. Now, had we determined if these were skeletons or if these were ghouls?
1: These are ghouls. They hadn't, they hadn't detailed it. If you've, if you've read your monster manual, it'll be pretty evident that these are ghouls. They talk about yes. the claw attacks, they, obviously the paralysis is a result, uh, they, uh, met references the long tongue sort of thing so they're very ghoul as according to wizards of the Coast's version of what a ghoul is but i don't know that they ever actually delineate that verbally it's more of a how much setting knowledge do you have sort of the the only
0: reason i ask if these are ghouls is because ghoul the ghoul paralysis doesn't affect elves and i don't think it affects half elves
1: either. that's why
2: i don't think they were ghouls i think they were ghasts yeah, which do guess. affect elves. Their paralysis does. Okay. Um, but no, they are they are essentially presented in, in this fight in the description as sort of an unnamed, undead thing that is threatening. Again, you like like Jack said, if you know stuff, you know what they're facing up against. But this would be like the equivalent of just some mysterious faceless undead that sort of Punch up the beginning of the episode. Yep.
1: Right. Uh, it's, so- it's it's the it's the it's the cold open for this this week's episode of X Files. You know, yes. they don't necessarily just delineate out all the details about something because yeah, sometimes that's the point of the episode. Obviously, for this. So
0: have we talked about cold opens? But-
1: we haven't really actually We think. haven't
0: so
2: much, no. We've, we've talked, talked about we've, talked we talked about we, the in media res. We, we,
0: yeah, we, we've yeah. talked about in media res. We haven't really talked about cold open. So, uh, for those of you that may not know the phrase, although it's fairly popular nowadays, uh, the cold open is basically when you start an episode in the action that's pers- that that that's, you know, most of the time taking place just before the actual story begins. Um, and there's a there's
1: there's a various a number of productions that use cold opens as well like even even your your general comedy variety show you know snl has a cold open every week yeah you know it's 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 the first thing you see out of the gate when the show starts it's and it's um, and it's usually kind of a setup thing
2: it's it's essentially in television it is a generic term that is used to describe if you have a scene or footage before the title sequence Right. Well, That's the, the, really all that it means, but the, the, it's the, taken on more of a, a different <clears throat> definition because of – mostly because of uh, a genre shows really. Well,
0: from, 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 a, from a filmic uh, background, uh, mm-hmm. cold open the, – the actual meaning of the term cold open, the reasons why it's used is because basically <clears throat> you're going in without warming up the audience, like right. normally, that's the the, the title intro, the, the title sequence, or or the the opening credits, or whatever, are meant to be the warm up for the audience. Like you know, get take you up to speed. You know, if there's if there's a previously on uh, aspect of a TV show, that is also considered a warm up. Um, and so the <clears throat> basically you, you use these other things to get the audience into the mood, and then drop them into the action. Mm. Cold open, you forego all of that and go straight into the action, so they don't have any time to get their bearings, they don't have any time to adjust to what they're watching. And the reason it got so very popular and, and used is because it's a really good way of unsettling your audience. Um, when you unsettle the audience, the psychology states that they become more invested and interested because their their curiosity has peaked. You know, they right. don't know what's going on, so now they have to watch to know what's going on.
2: Well, and it's also, it's not just to, to unsettle it, it's to evoke some kind of mood, whether yeah. it's, whether it's that, that unsettled feeling or, or disturbance. Now, when or I, if when it's I,
0: you want. When I say unsettling, I don't mean the, what, what the, what the term has come to mean, i.e. being made uncomfortable or being made, uh, put in sort of a tension, uh, tension, um, uh, uh, anxiety position when I say unsettled, I mean uh, the the again the filmic definition, or the actually I think it's, this might actually just be the classic definition of being removed from wherever you were, like mentally, like it doesn't right it doesn't, and, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> so like if you were okay, it's time for our show. It's that shink, Well, the show's slightly different feeling. It's not necessarily a because uh, uh, it's that that term is used most often nowadays uh, to mean sort of a. Uh, tension-filled, uh, scary uneasy, situation, uneasy, Red as guy. opposed to what it means in the film industry, which is just moved away from wherever you were when you sat down.
1: Yeah, yeah no, it's a, it's a great way to break viewer inertia um, and, like you said, establish a mood to to sort of yank, uh, hook the audience in to what they're getting ready to watch. Um, yeah. The Office uh the american version of the office had some great cold opens N- none of them that i can remember were meant to set the audience in a sense of unease like john was referencing you know but most of them were just kind of these short somewhat isolated but still very <clears throat> consistent with the overall atmosphere of the the series um usually very comedic in a in a concentrated format and then you'd get into the credits and you know but it yeah. was it was a great way of just you know sort of pulling the audience right into what this show is about i.e. a bunch of dysfunctional people doing weird sh- shit in a, in an office um
0: and i want to go back real quick cuz i didn't i didn't mean to cut you off jeremy i just wanted to clarify for the listeners what i meant by unsettling
2: <laughs> no that's okay um no and that yeah i I come from a filmic background too. I know. I know what you're talking about. This is yes, for the no, audience. Yes. No. I get it. I get it. <laughs> um, it. 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 it like you said it's. It, it is meant to evoke a mood. If it's. If a lot of the time, um, particularly if you're a character drama or you're uh, not necessarily a character <laughs> drama, but a character drama that that builds its reputation on action elements or horror elements, like. Walking Dead is a good example, or um, uh, uh, Breaking Bad, or shows like that. Supernatural, Supernatural loves its cold opens so much. Um,
1: House did too, I think. House
2: really did, but it's a lot of the most most
0: most procedurals love their cold opens.
2: Yes, but with those shows, you. You want to immediately get your, your 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 audience invested. And let's be honest, a lot of these shows that, that that have these big followings, if you start off just going straight into character drama, people are going to get bored right away because attention spans. Um, so if you start off with an action sequence or, or something that, like you said, sells the audience, then it's a way to immediately get them invested in, so that so that they've bought into the episode emotionally before you start unspooling the the real meat of the episode.
1: Yeah, right. And usually, <clears throat> if you are going to do it effectively, you always want there to be a very strong hook towards the end, mm-hmm. hold open because you know that you, you don't want to bury your lead. You want to give the audience something to both care about and be curious about. That will you know, because because most television programs were based around, you know, the, the concept of the commercial break as well. And yep. the commercial break is when people change the channel. But if you've hooked them in, they'll watch through it so that they see what happens next. And yeah. it's, it's basic viewer psychology uh, from, a writing, from a writer's perspective.
0: Interestingly enough, um, the cold open really took – so it started in film as almost every uh, bit of – bit of narrative uh tweak that we're going to be talking about that is commonly used in television i want to clarify that because not everything started in film but right um (laughs) the things that that are commonly used in in television often start in film Mm -hmm. but in, in particular the cold open wasn't was never as effective in a film as it is in television and the primary there's two primary reasons for that one uh Television has an actual credit sequence, which is often then followed by a commercial break, which gives the audience time to then settle back down and digest the cold open before getting launched back into the story, Uh, where uh, in film, the cold open happens, and then you're immediately dropped into the story, and you never really have—you don't have—you have to be processing the cold opening while they're going through what would traditionally be the warm-up. Right. And so it 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 sort of distracts the audience a little bit from in, in a film or in, in a movie perspective, uh, whereas in television they have a little bit more time to digest that. Which I've always found I find interesting things that started in film but work better in television. <clears throat> yeah, Mm-mm. just just because of that that idea of well, what if it had never been tried in film? Would it have ever found that success in television?
1: Right um, yeah, uh, yeah. And, and there's there's so much that goes into a, a standardized format that then defines and and directs how the 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 ensuing uh, projects in that format are created, conducted. Um, you know if, if if there wasn't a commercial break during episodes on, on television, a lot of these story structures would be following a more classical uh structure most likely because there wouldn't be those interruptions that you have to then recover from or during which you can process what you've seen (coughs) and so the the art form would likely have taken a, a much more different style in terms of how we expect it you know but i mean most people if you say you know how is a how is a television episode constructed you know they'll be like well they will have something in the beginning and then they'll set up a question and then they'll come up with a decent answer to the question which will be invariably wrong so that then in the second and third act they come back around or it was the first guy all along or you know and there's all these there's all these these tropes and clichés that we're, we're very familiar with that are defined by the genre and the 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 art form many of which date back to mid 60s um, yep. when when television was becoming in 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 structure at least what it still is today
2: yeah back when back when you wouldn't just have commercials you would have sponsored moments where the episode stopped and yeah. <laughs> there's always the famous uh um Flintstones cigarette ads and right. <laughs> and things like that. It's a very very different time. I know we're off on a tangent, even for us.
0: We just tangent. But... We just tangented off onto a tangent. <laughs> we are now tangent squared.
2: Yes, we really are, uh, and that's something that I really like about how how television and filmers are now that we're in quote, unquote, the golden age of television. It's a cliche, but it's true.
0: Hasn't it? Um, has it every age of television been the golden age of television? Well, yes, but I mean, I can think of three off the top of my head.
2: So <laughs> when they refer to the current golden age of television, they're talking about the, the fact that television is now considered to be on an equitable, uh, equitable standing with film in terms of dramatic storytelling in terms of a lot of that stuff due to the advent of shows like Breaking Bad and and going a little further back to Lost. But um, uh, a lot of the shows that that are really redefining what serial storytelling is today, that's sort of what the current nar- golden age, quote unquote, is. But it's really sort of blending like what you see, because cause film is now picking up from TV their ideas so you're getting you're getting you're getting cold opens before a um, a a a title sequence in film now uh, and then tv is picking up on the idea of stingers and it's right. it, it's a really interesting time so bring back we have a sh- we have a D&D <laughs> show that we like to talk about, too. <laughs> um,
0: so Vax gets hit by one of these ghouls and is paralyzed. Uh, and to rescue him, Tiberius has the brilliant idea of using an earthen pillar to shoot him up into the air and then quick casting a fireball into the area to hit the ghouls, which he does, killing three of them and breaking the pillar he just made and dropping Vax back into the ground. Um, We have another example of Tiberius not actually thinking. Uh,
1: well, but but in another sense, you can, because Vax is paralyzed at this point, and while this might not be necessarily narrative criticism uh, as at its <laughs> core, if he's paralyzed, he can't make his deck save, and if he can't make his deck save, he's going no, no, to no, take no, full no. damage from, I, the, from I com- the Fireball. Yeah,
0: I completely understand. Right. I'm more referring to the Fireball V Earthen Pillar. Yes, um, mm-hmm. than 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 the earthen pillar, than fireball. Um, right. And I, it was it was again, like I said, he thought about he thought about his plan to the first point, and then <laughs> stopped thinking past that. Which is which, to be fair, is something that all of Vox Machina does. So uh, it's something that I, I do.
1: It's all of Vox watch Machina. Me, watch me play Hearthstone sometime. That's
2: something that all role players do. Mm-hmm. Period. <laughs> Anybody who says that they that that not only that they haven't done that, but they don't do that on at least a significant minority basis, I would say is probably full of shit. <laughs>
0: there are there are there are plenty of role players that think beyond the first point. It's just once you hit the first point, whatever they thought about previously no longer matters because everything changed. Exactly. <laughs> so, um, but yeah. Uh, so, so, uh, uh, Vax hits the ground again, um, after, hits, hits the ground, I should say, not again, but for the first time, after the, after the earthen pillar gets broken, um, and Vax, uh, goes over to the chest, sorry, Vax finishes off the, uh, the last ghoul, and, uh, once dead, Vax is able to shake himself free of the paralysis.
1: Um, so, I wanted to ask you guys, mm-hmm. um, cause this just occurred to me. What would you guys say in terms of... Because, you know, this is, this is adventure fiction sort of at its, at its core. Um, it's a Dungeons & Dragons campaign.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: What would you guys say in, in general or even in the, the confines of that sort of genre? What is the function of the not-too-challenging combat? Why uh, would you put that in? It, what purpose it, does it, it serve?
0: It taxes resources. Okay. Um so the 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 this is this is this is something that is seen actually in a lot of fantasy uh, fantasy uh genre fiction mm-hmm. um where you the the heroes are put to several tasks in a row and while coll- while individually each task might not be too terribly big of a deal after going through task one, two, three, four, and five, by the time you get to five, you're low on resources. You're you you and this is seen in video games, D and D campaigns, books, movies, etc. Um, yeah. You know, you start with a hundred men, and then by the time you get to the end, you've got three. Uh, like while any while any individual challenge may have been fine, I mean, look here, uh, Tiberius just spent a fifth level spell and a third level spell. Um, to kill four ghouls. You know, Vexalia spent a couple of arrows. Vax lost some hit points. These yep. are all individual resources. And you know, in a book, you know, uh you spend you're getting exhausted, you're getting you know fatigued. Uh as much as these two people don't like him, R. A. Salvatore actually makes uh, quite a big uh deal out of his characters going through multiple trials back to back to back, and mm-hmm. detailing the the sort of the 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 physical exhaustion and fatigue that they end up having to deal with later on. Um, you know, I mean, and oh, yeah. yet...
2: he's good at that. I mean, my yeah. my problems with Salvatore have nothing to do with that. <laughs> um, yeah, no, necessarily. Not... He's very that that is something that he is. Absolutely talented with, and that's actually why uh, the Dark Elf trilogy, the the it's yeah, actually the second the one, yeah. Um, the 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 first, uh, one. but the first one, yeah. the dra- the drist origin story, yeah, which, the, which, the, the which was is the second trilogy. one because Crystal Shard oh, yeah. was mm-hmm. the first first trilogy. That's that's right, true. is easily the best, <laughs> at least as far as I have read. And I I I I stopped after a thousand orcs, but I read the plots for after that. Um. <laughs> that's about as far as i was really uh
0: i, I but, ha- having read further than that i will agree that his origin story is the best trilogy of the of the series
2: oh it's yeah it's so good because it's you see the toll that 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 not only going through you know what he went through in men's and brands and but once he left and once he struggled his way through the underdark and and that whole thing was just one long endurance trial for him. Yeah, um, it was. It, it's some of his Salvatore's best ride, and it's something I can. That at least I can wholeheartedly recommend.
0: And and even yeah. later on in even in in as far as the the Thousand Orcs trilogy or 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 others that that they go through. Um, the Kalimshan Trilogy. Yeah. Um, the, because what would happen... What, what, well. what would happen was, you know, Drist would fight... Uh, here's a band of goblins. Here's a band of orcs. Here's a band of more orcs. Here's some more orcs. Here's even more orcs. Here's a couple of ogres. Here's a couple of other things. And then here is Artemis and Triri. Here's a giant. Here's, <laughs> yes. here's Artemis and Trieri. You're equal in everything. By the way, he hasn't been through 15 other fights. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and and so this this, like, steady, steady build, build, build. And... Pushing past your limits, pushing past the exhaustion is part of what makes a heroic tale heroic mm-hmm. um, and, and there are whole series and genres that have been defined on that concept Dragon Ball Z the entire dragon Ball series by at its core is based on pushing past your limits once you've gone to the edge. Going that little bit further, or going a lot further, as it turns out, yep. in, in that particular series, um, <laughs> uh, and, and and like in and so yes, that that is the purpose that you know small, easily won battles uh, that happen after after one after another after another after another serve in in, in fiction in in everything. It, it's a tax. on I mean, resources. It's an endurance. It's an endurance thing because you can't yeah. make your players feel more exhausted than after they've just been out of a fight that they've spent a lot of resources in.
2: I mean, and there's other, there's other, I mean, in terms of, of of narrative and storytelling, there, there are a lot of other good, good reasons for it. Like we just said, if you're going to open up a, if you're going to open up a chapter or a, a a book or an episode or something, you want to open it up in a big way, a fight, even if it's a simple fight, is is a good way to do that. It also
1: it sets a tone.
2: Yeah, it sets a tone and and this wasn't the case in, in in this particular fight but it also it can give you an idea as we've seen in past episodes of of Critical Role it can give you an idea of exactly what you're facing in terms of a small smaller party or an indication of what kind of forces the main antagonist has.
1: Mm-hmm. Um it's a good it setup can. setup mechanic, yeah
2: yeah, it's a good setup mechanic. It's foreshadowing, mm-hmm. and of course, even in little fights like this, there's always the opportunity for character stuff,
1: mm-hmm. yep, which uh, is what I felt was was most impactful for me actually about this this initial opening scene, um because there are a lot of adventure fiction where there is a very clear protagonist, they're more or less the Superman. And while they may come under threat or be, you know, taken to their limit or something, generally it's a it's an audience's expectation that the the writer will um, will fulfill is that they will ultimately triumph at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. Whereas in this story, it's a much more group centered setting. Right. Um the The idea of a character <laughs> going off on their own is inherently fraught with risk. And I felt that this was a great way. um, Obviously we, we coming to it with our background sort of already have this expectation in mind, but for newer viewers or people not as familiar with the setting or, or the way these sort of stories are tend to be wrapped together. This is an excellent example of, this is what happens if you go alone. Mm
3: -hmm. This
1: is this, you know, because, because if, if Tiberius and Vex had not been there, if Vax had just gone off by himself, these things could have very easily just eaten him almost yep. at their leisure. Um, and it you'll see that it, in – it,
0: it wouldn't have been leisurely. Trust me, I know these creatures. Uh, yeah,
1: uh, but you know, and you'll see that in other stories as well, where you know somebody is off exploring. You know, whether it's the mummy or some other uh, <laughs> some other property similar to that, they get in over their head. And there's a lot of tension until their friends show up and, you know, pull their ass out of the fire. And or I felt like
2: don't in the case or, of the alien or, or slasher franchise.
1: Right. Or or don't. You know, right, yeah. That's you know, the the jock decides to go off by himself and look for his beer that he sat down and
2: because that's, catches up b- with him. Because that's right. important to that character. <laughs> because
1: that's important to that character,
2: yeah. And then right. make the tragic mistake of saying, I'll be right back and right. it's all over. <laughs>
1: yeah but or, and so i like i like you know. that aspect of of this whole thing where yeah it's as as strong and as impressive as, as each of these characters have been throughout the story by themselves they are not nearly as effective as when they're all mm-hmm. working in concert
0: mm-hmm. speaking of being not as effective as, as when they're all working in concert vex uh vax <laughs> vax goes over to the chest um I'm oh, sorry, Vex goes over to the chest that they found and triggers a fireball trap
2: uh... <laughs> you know it 's funny looking back on these episodes and uh realizing all the things that they haven 't learned in so many episodes, oh yeah oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Don't well,
0: this is,
3: open this is, the box about so, so, checking So this first. is
0: actually interesting. Um, this is like so uh, uh, something I actually want to bring about. Um, playing against type is a mm-hmm. is a thing that people will talk about. Where you know you're you're trying to portray characters that aren't uh, what you're typically known to be or, or aren't like you.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Vex plays into her type. Mm-hmm. Uh and, and and, I can say this with full confidence because while watching uh the crew of Critical Role try to do an escape room, Laura Bailey will always go over to other people and take whatever clue they find. Like
2: out of <laughs> yeah. their hands. Um I mean we saw that in for people who've seen the um God, the name of it escapes me now, but but Will Wheaton's Titan's uh, Grave. Titan's Grave. God, why couldn't I think of that? But seeing Titan's Grave. Very similar kind of thing.
0: Yeah, uh, and so it, it, in, in true Laura Bailey fashion, Vexalia goes over and just t- tries to get the chest. Um, right. So playing two type, it it has some advantages, uh, especially in a role playing sense, but also in a narrative sense, because uh, quite often the expectation is to make a new and unique character, somebody that is a fresh perspective on an old thing or whatever. But
1: which you're not going to do. Let me just disabuse you of that notion. It's 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 all everything's a remix at this point.
0: Basically, yeah. There's very yeah. little. There's very little that you can come up that's original. And trying to be and trying too hard to make an original concept or character can be very taxing and draining. And and most often just ends yep. up with a bland character that doesn't have any strong defining characteristics that stand out. Mm-hmm. Um, well, more to the
2: point when you're trying to, when you're trying, when everybody wants to be the, the, the special unique character, and I'm somebody who loves to play uh, uh, subversions of tropes. Um, But when everybody's trying to do that, then, and, and you're, you're doing nothing but that. When everyone's playing the bounty hunter with a heart of gold. Yeah. Then, then nobody's, if everybody's playing against that particular type, then that type starts to cease to exist and you're no longer playing a subversion. You're playing the new trope. Right. Um, So there is a lot of value. And as much as I love playing, you know, different unique twists on characters every now and then there is not only a lot of fun, but a, a, a lot of value in playing or writing or performing um, a character who very much fits the stereotype, uh, or an archetype,
0: would actually be yeah, a, an archetypical character, uh, right?
1: Because because archetypes exist for a reason. Um, mm-hmm. it's the if you're going to draw an audience into a narrative, they have it has to be recognizable to them. Um, right. you know the, and, and I definitely agree with Jeremy in that if all tropes of a genre are being subverted it's no longer that genre anymore
2: yep
1: you know um or if all stereotypes of an archetype are being are being altered then you're really writing a different type of character um so you know the the concept of trying to make everything as fresh as possible can be tempting But you have to leave enough stereotypes intact that your audience can follow where you're going.
0: Well, not even just that, but the reason archetypical characters resonate and the reason that they are archetypical is because there's something about their story that emotionally satisfies and resonates with the audience. Mm-hmm. If you have no characters that resonate with your audience, why is your audience going to continue to watch?
2: Yep. Yeah. I mean, as much as everybody, as much as every fantasy story has to start with some Luke Skywalker slash Randolph or, you know, kind of character to the point that it's almost tired. There's a reason that character's there. It works. It draws it draws people. And now, if you're literally just copying those characters, yeah, yeah. you don't have a compelling storyline. But right. but those archetypes
0: kind of that role, yeah works. <clears throat> that you know the 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 lonely boy wanting for more. The reason why that works is because when you're young, everyone is that person.
3: Right, mm-hmm. uh, we can relate to it.
0: And yeah. it's it's that ability to relate and that ability to sort of see yourself in those shoes is what make these characters entertaining archetype. Um, yep. and, I, and and now the, the trap that people fall into, and I know that this is a thing that people fall into because I've borne witness to it, is not realizing that there's actually quite a lot of room to maneuver within an archetype. Mm-hmm. Um what the, the the trick is, the, however, not changing the archetype, but changing the surrounding, the surroundings of the archetype. Right. Uh, for instance, uh, actually, just comparing Star Wars movies, uh, Star Wars Episode Four: New Hope, Luke Skywalker, to Star Wars Episode Seven, uh, mm-hmm. uh, 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 whose subtitle Ray. I can't think of right now, yeah. but of uh, uh, c- uh, Force Awakens. Force Awakens. Thank you. Uh, comparing Ray to Luke, those are very much the same archetype, but. The circumstances and settings are different. They they are both lonely kids wanting for more, but Rey wants to stay where she's at and she wants the world to come to her, and specifically she wants her family to come to her, and Luke wants to leave his family where he's at and go out to the world. Yep. That is, they are while, while they are constantly compared to and they are the same archetype of a character, they are the exact opposite take of the same archetype it is the It is the the setting and the set dressing and the the means and the methods and the circumstances around the archetype that you can customize and change to make yeah. a more unique and compelling story right. not the archetype and honestly, itself
1: and honestly, those two movies are some of the best in terms of talking about classic archetypes. Mm-hmm. where you have the same cast and characters almost in both of those movies and the roles are all filled and the even and you've got the same characters in many of those movies but Han Solo in the Force Awakens is the Obi-Wan from A New Hope and uh you know the 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 uh, Poe um, is the Hans is the new Han Solo and Chewbacca is well the same Chewbacca, but you know it's the the idea being that you're you're telling almost the exact same story with almost the exact same characters, and then they just turn a dial and you're suddenly realizing, no no, no this is this is a completely new story now, even though all the pieces are still set up in the same fashion. They've subverted just certain. Aspects of the archetype, not no. the entire archetype. Just no. one bit here, one bit there, yeah. and it's a brand new story.
0: Now I could talk for a full podcast about Star Wars, uh, so yes. we're gonna we're gonna stop there. <laughs> All right. If if you guys listening at home, however, want us to do a Star Wars rewatch podcast, oh my me. god, oh oh, we will do god, it.
2: I'm, oh my, <laughs> just I'm, just I'm, let us know. Oh God in thing. heaven, yes. Just just let us know.
0: Just <laughs> let us know. <laughs> and uh we will gladly do I will gladly force these two to rewatch the prequel trilogy for your pleasure.
1: <laughs> you the can't see that... my facial expression, but I'm sure you can imagine yeah. my facial expression. <laughs> but one yeah. thing, not, no, I not I would Star be willing Wars. to do that.
2: Yeah. One thing not Star Wars specific is so people like to talk about Dungeons and Dragons in that it's it's collaborative storytelling. And it is. Um but when you're when you're when you're writing or when you're creating you know uh television or whatever, even if it's just you there there is a certain sense of collaboration and what I'm trying to say by this is when you're looking at these characters, none of these characters that 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 exist when you're telling a story exist within a vacuum mm-hmm. and you can throw all of these very well-known archetypes together and it's simply how those characters interact with each other, which is going to make them unique. Um, it's, it's, it's the, the interactions, uh, between each other, the plot points, the, the tweaks to your setting, every single one of these things is going to, Make little changes to the characters to, to, to make them stand out from the, the, uh, the, the quintessential prototypical version. Uh, and that's what you, that's what you always want to look at when, you, when, when you're trying to figure out, well, I've got this idea of a character, but is it too tropey or is it, is it too much of a ripoff of, of another character? Don't be afraid to do that. Just realize how you're going to distinguish it and what you're going to introduce around them that makes it different.
0: Um, By the way, just wanted to bring this up. We've been talking for about a half an hour, and I haven't gotten out of the first paragraph of my uh, recap. <laughs>
2: yeah. <laughs> we really should have called, just called ourselves
1: critical tangents. Uh, yeah, um. right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Welcome to critical thinking, everybody.
0: <laughs> so. Both Vax and Vex managed to avoid the fireball trap. Let's bring it back to the fireball trap. Um, okay. the,
2: <laughs> that, uh, I mean, the good news is this: this episode is like sixty percent combat. So it's true,
0: it's true. <laughs> um, eh, but uh, they managed to dodge most of the damage. But the majority of the contents of the chest and the chest itself are blown across the cavern. Uh, the, what remains intact is a great sword, a number of gold coins. Uh, and the largest of the undead had a bag uh, a, a bag on it with some coins and a diamond. Um at this point, Scanlan reminds Pike that this might be a good time to uh heal Vax's foot, which at which point Vax uh, uh Pike goes
3: and works on Vax's foot. Um uh, Vex
0: I'm I'm oh that's right. This is the next thing. Um yep. <laughs> So, uh, if that Vex, you know, sort of indicates for everybody that it should, you know, they should probably leave now, um, and, uh, because she has seen something, um, and, uh, she sort of indicates for them to look in a particular direction, and they, they, they follow her sight to the ceiling, and at first they don't see anything, until that stalactite opens its eyes, um... And uh, then they they find out that they are being attacked by cloakers. Um. Now, cloakers are a type of enemy that basically disguises themselves as stalactites, and they are not the ones that I'm thinking of. There's a there's no several you're thinking of like dark that.
1: mantles, mm-hmm. dark mantles. I'm also thinking of Rankin. something else. What what are the ones that Ropers. grab you?
0: Ropers. That's R- the
2: one. Yeah, you're thinking. One. Why would you be thinking of that? I don't know. <laughs> um,
1: <laughs> no, it's it's a cloaker. It's basically a huge underground flying manta ray with yes. lots and lots and lots of teeth that yep. hides the ceilings. Yeah, yep. right, that
2: hides, hides as on the a ceiling, st- hides
0: as a stalactite, <laughs> um, or stalactite. It hides wherever it can. Uh, but yeah, so it drops down and into the center of the group and begins to attacking. Uh, uh, the twins dart for the carpet, and Grog tries to bolt out of the cave. Uh, the cloaker attacks Tiberius, wrapping its wings around his head. Uh, muffled and blinded, Tiberius uses fire breath. Uses his fire breath to give himself. I think this is the first time we've seen him use his fire breath. Yep. Mm, yes, I think you're right. Which, uh, not to go on another tangent, but we're going to go on another tangent. Um, I so I find this interesting from a character perspective. What do you guys think, Tiberius? This being the first time, ten episodes in, that we see Tiberius use his. Dragon breath. What does that say about him in your minds?
2: Oh, I think it says a lot about him. Um, Tiberius is you know, well; he is a sorcerer, so every you know, all of it comes from 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 who he is. Tiberius is wh- whether it's the case or not, and, and I think there can be an argument made either way. Thinks of himself as as the incredibly intellectual cultured um um i don't want to say above other dragonborn like above his dragonborn nature but there there is a lot of arrogance there you also have somebody who is very specifically left draconia um and and you know got away from that so I do this a lot of times with with some of my characters is I will very specifically ignore certain elements of their ability set because those those are elements that remind them of parts of themselves that they wouldn't necessarily want to remind. I'm not saying that's exactly what happened with Orion here, but that's what that is. If I was reading this and, you know, didn't know anything about, about, the 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 person behind it and what their intentions were with the character that's how i would interpret it as he a lot of times doesn't really as much as he refers to i'm from draconia he doesn't he he tries to go with a much different he tries to more establish himself in a in an intellectual way
1: Okay. Yeah, and I think you know, especially if we go back to his his original character bio and things like that, um he was not content with his station in Draconia. He was he was not willing to continue his existence as a moderately stagnated element of a very traditional um society. It's, you know, it's it, the the setting description of how Draconia is portrayed for me, puts me in mind of that sort of pre-Newtonian scientific European community of, well, as long as you know your Aristotle and know what the ancients thought was true as far as science is concerned, that's all you need to know, and we're going to adhere to the classical position on all matters, and experimentation and innovation are not terribly important, and blah, 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 blah. Um, So, with that in mind, I think Tiberius's characterization as somebody who doesn't go towards his more classical <clears throat> draconian abilities, but sticks more towards the arcane, magical aspects of his abilities, is very in keeping with the the character and and its his his self image.
3: Mm-hmm
1: so from... know, because because those are the things that he finds valuable and the things that those are the things that he likes about himself the most not that he doesn't like that he's a dragon nor that he doesn't like that he's from jaconia because he's he will pull those out when they seem to be effective aspects for solving whatever problem he's he's facing but they're not his favorite
0: yeah uh so for me it's a, it's a slightly different read on it um mostly the same like i definitely agree that this is a part of him that he doesn't necessarily like but um for me I feel like the way he presents himself as being this very aloof and you know, intelligent and well read and well bred and well educated sorcerer, wielder of arcane might and magic, is that he likes to be in control and he likes to know what's happening, when it's happening, where it's happening and why it's happening and that he made it happen. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. And so the only time we see him fall back and rely on that primal, draconic nature is when he's put in a situation where he has no other alternatives. And so he has to rely on this unreliable ability of his, because Dragonborn's dragon breath doesn't work the same way that a dragon's dragon breath does. The dragon can reliably use their dragon breath multiple times, multiple times a day. Whereas a dragonborn can only use it once and then have the rest. Um so I feel like what it is for him is it's this it's this raw primal reminder of what he really mm-hmm. is deep down yeah. inside. And it's uncontrolled, it's 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 not directed, it's very random, it's not educated and bright and intelligent and thought out it's just a reaction and so this is the only time we see the real Tiberius and he doesn't like the real Tiberius like he much prefers this facade of a sorcerer to this fire-breathing dragonborn um and that's sort of my read on it. Less that it's less that less so that it's about the Dragonborn as a race, and more it is about himself. It's this, and and, and, may, and it might be just be because I'm I, I I can I can empathize with that sort of a character that wants to control their surroundings and control everything they do, and then they come across a part of themselves that they can't control, and that that just sort of like is a sticking point. Mm-hmm. Um. But yeah. Uh, that that that's my take on this, and and whether or not, and there there are arguments to and for any of these uh, opinions, and certainly others, uh, uh ranging uh, you know far afield. But I just I found it particularly noteworthy that this was the first time we ever see him use his dragon breath, and and I mm-hmm. don't think he uses it very much later on either. No,
1: no, he no, doesn't. He, it's 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 not something that he has as a key component in his toolbox,
2: and it's something that I think. Um, this this is more than the D and D aspect of it, but that Orion clearly wasn't had not used much to that point, because if you watch the episode at the time, he doesn't remember how it works, and he knows how all of his spells, work, every <laughs> which, single one, which so is that, kind, that,
0: of, kind of kind also, of also you know kind of also reinforces some of our reads on it as well, just from a yeah. from a player mm-hmm. perspective, um. So yeah, uh he uses his fire breath to get the uh, which which gets the cloaker off of his face enough for him to cast telekinesis using one of his ion stones. And uh, uh to for him to cast, to cast telekinesis and get it off of him. Another fifth level spell. Um the the group manages to they they manage to get ahead of it and they all pull themselves into the boat uh as Keyleth and sharp from him begins to tow the boat away. Um Scanlan uh and this is the part where we're going to talk about Scanlan again. Ladies and gentlemen, um we're not going to go uh, off, we're, we're not going to go off into a into as big of attention as we did last time but it is something we want to remark on uh content warning etc um well, this one's not going to be as severe as the last one because we're, no. we're not going to we're not going to drop it on use as a surprise <laughs> right Jack <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: Um
0: so Scanlan uh has another problematic moment uh where in order to get himself and Pike to the boat, uh he uh, you know, basically is going to dimension door himself and Pike to the boat because he can dimension door but only uh creatures that are a similar size to him. Uh only uh, one other creature that is a similar size to him, and that being Pike is the only person in the party that he can really do that with, aside from Kima. Um And so he goes over to Pike and he does this whole joking bit. Uh come with me if you don't come come with me uh, if you want to live. Um and uh then he holds her and, and in his words, and I just hold her really tight, and I sniff her hair, and it smells like strawberries, and then I dimension Doras to the boat. Um and then a few lines later, don't worry, that hard wood is the boat. So while this is done for laughter and it elicits laughter from the person that he's trying to get a laugh out of, Ashley does, you know, does laugh at this, uh, as does everybody else. Um, in the context of a story and writing a character, and we're, we're removing it from the comedy of the situation, removing it from the joke that right. it was intended and looking at it in more of a narrative perspective as we're doing with everything uh-huh. in this in this show.
3: Um,
0: we we see that our problematic character continues to be problematic and in fact has Increased his problematic nature from the last episode. So the last episode, he was just show he was revealing himself to another character, to specifically a female character, and and you know using magic to elicit attention to a part of his bare skin, um, flashing for another, for lack of a better term. Yeah. Yeah. Um, in this one, he is intentionally being creepy by sniffing her hair while holding her tight, and uh, under the under the pretense of rescuing her.
2: Should we cover both the the one that happens later as well? Just get this all out of the way at once. Sure. Yeah. We'll go and we'll go, ahead, we'll go ahead and hit the whole thing at once. So there's a there's a there is a, a a moment later in the episode where after 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 some some more progression. He tries to use
1: suggestion to, um, which is a mind altering spell for the which pack. is a
2: mind altering spell to make Kima interested in Grog. Um, and what I found, you know, this is all, like John said, it's all all progression and almost escalation of Scanlan's creepy problematic character aspects yeah <laughs> um what i really what i really found interesting for this week's episode though is you have him doing it to two very two different people and how they both react to it very differently um where sort of how he how other characters deal with with Scanlan's creepiness um <laughs> You know, we've seen it many times, and we will see it many times again. And where Pike sort of just tolerates it, and and um, sort of sort of does for lack of a better term, a gentle strong arm away. Um, uh, Kima reacts very differently this week. <laughs> She threatens to beat him senseless with her mace. Um, yep. which was the joke, which was what what we thought would have been funny as a joke if she had actually done that last week in the background. Yep. Um, she has what is a, a, a very appropriate reaction. And so yeah, um, so so
0: in, in in these two cases we actually see it being handled the way it should be handled in an air yes. sense. Um with uh Pike just refusing any and all advances um n- nicely but still blatantly and uh-huh. and then uh Kima basically going if you don't stop i will kill you um which i which again in in this case it's still fine that he's a problematic character because you need problematic characters as they're they're part of storytelling uh in this case he's being handled the way i would think you should handle I'm not gonna say the yeah, way you me, should i not say the way you should handle him, but the way I feel you should handle right. him. Right,
1: yeah. No, I feel like it's it's a it's a it's a very good choice of response both from Ashley and from Matt of all right, here I'm confronted with a problematic character and the females they simply refuse to relinquish control. Yep. You know, they they maintain their independence, they maintain their their ability to have the say of what happens to and around them. Um, and they make it very clear to both the audience and the problematic individual in question. No, I'm, I'm not going to let your actions and your efforts dictate how my life functions. Yeah. So, yeah. Um... but yeah, no, I think, I think, I think, and you know, uh, the the fact of the the escalation i think is a is a is a pretty significant aspect of this discussion as well you know because i mean yeah he's he's gone from um the 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 flashing incident to now unsolicited physical contact uh well, what you could semi solicited. Semi solicited. We, we, sh- right, we, yeah. should, we should
0: make it, We should make a. We should make a point of that because unsolicited— uh, This is uns- not the first
1: time that he and Pike have done the the dimension door thing. No, they did it at Emberhold. And-
0: unsolicited physical contact is one thing, but taking taking allowed physical contact to a level that was not previously allowed. Yes, right. is something that happens and, and isn't is, isn't often covered and, and isn't often talked about because typically you want to skip that part because it. Some people seem to feel like if there was some allowance in the beginning, then the rest is a gray area. It's not. If you go beyond what you were allowed, then that is beyond what you were allowed, and you deserve whatever retribution is going to come, be it a mace in the face or not.
1: Um, right, pre- previous consent never implies future consent.
0: Exactly. Correct. And previous consent for one thing does not imply future consent for a completely different thing. Exactly. Um, so it, it is important to note that it was not... P- Scanlan was offering to help her get away. Uh was using his ability to magically teleport her to another place to take advantage of that and then be weird with her. Mm-hmm. Which is another level beyond um, and so yeah. we're worth worth identifying on its own for that.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, sorry, I I didn't mean to interrupt you. I just wanted to clarify that.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, but um, you know, we had been talking about, you know, yeah, there's there's he in in this single episode. There's physical aspects to his problem, to the problematic conduct of the character. There are emotional aspects given his his commentary. You know, and there's even psychological aspects of him. Attempting to forcibly alter somebody's perception and desires based on his abilities, personality, you know, magical capacity, whatever, you know, so it's, it's, he's, he's, he's checking off all the problem boxes. Yep.
0: And you uh, get the sense, you get the sense that the reason he's so cavalier about this whole thing is because previously he has done this maybe with NPCs and not with actual, you know, with with, right. with background characters and been successful. Mm-hmm. Um, And so you have this, this is sort of the point where this is the first time he's ever encountered resistance on this particular thing.
1: Right. Um, Of any of any significant consequence anyway, you know, and and honestly, I find this interesting not only because it's we're able to to highlight, you know, what what you can do with problematic characters and how they can actually contribute to a narrative. But also now we're also getting into, you know, ethical questions of power and influence and the corruptive nature of somebody of, of of those things on somebody uh who who's pursuing them in a in a self interested manner.
2: Yeah, it's that kind of when you're talking about fantasy worlds or science fiction worlds or superhero worlds or genre worlds in general. Um these are worlds where this kind of stuff is 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 not you cut, you cut out there, Jeremy. Oh, this is the kind of stuff that, that in this world or in those worlds is an option where obviously in our world it's not the same, there is not an option in the same sort of way, um, which creates some interest, uh, so, some real opportunities to, to, to talk about these kinds of uh, issues and, and stories about, like Jack said, power and, and, um, uh, the nature of mind control, what it means, all that kind of stuff. It's been handled very well in so- sometimes in, in narrative settings. It's been handled very poorly, very, 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 very poorly, sometimes usually in comic books. Um, mm-hmm.
3: and sometimes, he that- says.
2: Yeah, sometimes just uh, <laughs> look up Captain Marvel's history, you'll know what I'm talking about. <sighs> um <laughs> um and I think you know, the, that's where talking about the value of Scanlan is. Scanlan's actions and and uh, uh what he does, I think Critical Role handles it very well. Because yes, he does it. Yes, it but it's never the way that everybody, uh, the, the, the characters that he does it to reacts very quickly establishes, um, uh, what's okay. And what's not.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Yep. Um, and, and, and it's useful in narrative having characters like this, because what it allows you to do is it allows you to make an analogy or sort of mm-hmm. a, a parable, uh, to real life situations. Imagine if, Imagine if Scanlan, instead of being a bard with magic powers, was your boss with control of your paycheck.
2: Yep. Mm
0: -hmm. Um, or, Or something along that line. And that is how you can sort of relate these stories back to the real world and have that still have a meaningful impact to see that person get theirs, whatever theirs may be. Um, you know, in, in this case, getting threatened to be beaten in the face by Kima, which I will reiterate is the correct response uh, <laughs> for, for any and all uh, for, for any and all situations of this magical fantasy or not.
1: Um, right. yes. yeah. and, yes. and there's 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 a number of different ways you can treat the story arc of a problematic character. Um, you know, it, it's not always, oh, this person is an irredeemable villain, and they eventually get their face beaten in and, you know, have to live in a gutter and die of leprosy at, you know, the age <laughs> of 36 or something. You know, uh, you know. Uh, there's, Jack, there... we weren't
0: talking about your autobiography. Damn
1: it. <laughs> I keep trying to plug that thing, and you guys are always stepping on my shit. Um... Well, and, and,
0: and, and various body parts as they fall off. But...
1: It's true. Uh, Yeah. But, you know, there's, there's – there's the – the capacity of a character to learn and be redeemed there's a capacity of a character to um have a a retribution actually dealt to them and re- rehabilitate as a result there's there's any number of ways that they can be they can be treated and you know i mean there is the somewhat less satisfactory for most of the audience probably there's the option of they're problematic, and they stay that way, and it never gets addressed in the setting, which is how life happens sometimes. Yep. Um. You know, But but with that, the responsibility of the author, I would say, is to – you don't want to fall into the trap of normalizing it. You can have that happen to the character – but the audience is still aware of the problematic nature and in the audience's mind if you're able to communicate yeah this happened and guess what you're absolutely right it wasn't fair they should have had consequences yeah. they didn't but as long as that should have is there you're still probably closer to the right end of this of the spectrum as far as handling that character
2: yeah if something doesn't have a happy ending you should make it clear that that was not a happy
1: ending right mm-hmm. yeah not yeah. not everything has to has to meet its ultimate level of justice yeah. in the in the arc of of whatever you're writing or creating, but
2: just ask George R R.
1: Martin. yes, <laughs> but nobody comes away from yeah, because nobody comes away from reading the Red Wedding and think, oh yeah, no, that was that was that was great. That was, <laughs> that was exactly that was
2: awesome. what should have happened.
1: That was <sighs> yeah. I mean, I should call my fiance. We should we should do that when uh, when we get married. I mean. I... <laughs> I did,
2: but you know, I mean.
1: <laughs> well, we know you did, but
2: just I mean, to be fair, there were a lot of people who had red wedding-themed weddings that year. <laughs> <sighs> yep, I don't think any of them actually mass watered the guests, but I, you
0: know, just just play the Rains Castamere and just see what happens.
2: Right. Um, but then there, but then there's also th- there's very much doing it wrong. I mean, I'm gonna I'm gonna say this as an enormous fan of, of Joker and Harley Quinn. Mm-hmm. But the fact that there are that many memes out there saying I want a relationship like this tells you how poorly that story has been told. Not by everybody because, oh, you know, this is comics and you get different writers and so on. But how poorly that story has been told, has been marketed by DC from time to time. That should not be a love story. Now, to be fair,
0: not all representations of Joker and Harley Quinn are an abusive relationship. There are representations of them where they do have a healthy but weird relationship. Um, Specifically, like, the animated series, Harley and Joker tend to get along in a much more healthy manner than the comic versions do. Um, I mean... He's still... Okay, the 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 in the, in the in the more animated versions of it his 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 negative relationships tend to t- he tends to not vent directly at Harley as much as he does in the comics he tends to fit more at underlings and Harley joins in on him and they have they both they both abuse their underlings uh, it's never it's never depicted as a good relationship, but it's not no. quite the same. It's not quite the same no, no. level of derangement it's as it not, is in the comics. It <laughs> is
2: not as it is not as 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 horrific. Yeah. Um, yeah, in yeah, the yeah. animated series, it couldn't be. It was an animated series, and as much as it was for adults, it was also viewed at three o'clock in the afternoon. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So
1: there or, was a or lot. On of the other you hand, you know, how how many times have you heard a high schooler, you know, try and equate? Them and their girlfriend to Romeo and Juliet. That's a terrible, yes, exactly. parallel. Do that <laughs> that is so not a relationship aspiration of the, any. The the, 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 the the
0: thing I'm the thing I'm reading. I, I'm trying to get at here is that while yes, there's a large responsibility of the author to make sure that they represent uh, relationships in in uh, a in in a manner that does not normalize unhealthy natures. Uh, there is also a certain level of uh responsibility on the reader to understand oh God, yes. what they're yes. seeing. Mm-hmm. Yes. Much there much like with much like with much like with teenagers who don't get that Romeo and Juliet is not a love story, um yeah. there is all there are also people that do not that, that don't read the comics but have seen the animated universe uh, uh uh Joker and Harley, and that's what they're basing their I want a relationship like Joker and Harley off of.
2: Mm-hmm. Um with- I would agree with that a lot more if they didn't always use the 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 comic book images well, they, they use or the, the comic images, book images from Suicide Squad. They
0: use they use those images because they look better than the animated series.
1: Mm. <laughs> that is about my entire reaction. To that. Yeah, yeah, it's, <laughs> fucking uh, yeah.
0: No, no, I get it, I get it, but I just wanted to provide that alternative because I, I mean, do I, I I do know right. that. There is yeah. at least in that particular case there is a reason why that uh, that that sentiment exists and it's not and it's not because they see what happens in the comics and think that's okay it's because they see the zany antics on the afternoon cartoon show and think that's okay
1: Yeah but they probably saw the zany antics in twilight and still thought that was okay I yeah. mean right Yeah <laughs> Talk about yeah. romanticizing abusive uh, behaviors, but yeah. if you want to, if you want to, um,
0: uh, we're we're going to get off this tangent now as well. But yes. if you want to see more about, uh, if you want to see more about romanticizing abusive behaviors, please check out our vampire game on Saturdays. Oh.
1: Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what sort of can of worms did I open with you people? God, because uh, so need to
0: catch up. Because uh, you 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 need to watch that if you want to see if you want to see words, how.
1: Jeremy, two words blood bond. If you want to see how...
0: (laughs) I I, I, genuinely want to say, though, if you want to see how an abusive relationship should be portrayed in a narrative sense to make it absolutely 100% certain that this is not a good thing, check out our vampire stream.
1: I'm (laughs) Um, trying. I'm trying. I promise,
2: guys. (laughs) I... I foresee binge-watching not that I haven't been trying already over the last couple of weeks, but I foresee binge-watching in my future, so you just made me extremely <laughs> excited. You're welcome.
0: Uh, so anyways...
1: Yeah. Jack16 is a bitch.
0: <laughs> so... Um...
1: So they're fleeing they're fleeing on the a boat. <laughs> <Right>. They're <laughs> fleeing
0: on a boat. We're <laughs> bad at this. We're on a motherfucking boat. <laughs> we're bad at this. Um, They're fleeing <laughs> off the boat. <laughs> <laughs> um, and the, 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 uh, cloaker shows off the fact that it can fly, um, as it comes after them, sitting on a massive screech, uh, that, sh- uh, shakes many of the people in the boat with fear. Uh, Scanlan uses Bigby's, Bigby's, uh, interposing hand to grapple the creature and stop him from, Bigby's hand, actually, uh, the, the variations are all not one spell. Um, he uses Bigby's hand to stop the creature and, uh, try to, and, and grapple it and keep it from following after them. Um, with it held, Vex manages to take out, its, uh, tele- take out one, one eye with an arrow, and Tiberius yanks the other one out with telekinesis. Uh, Vex then whips a the dagger into the empty socket, and it dies. Scanlon drops it into the boat, allowing Percy to take some time to skin it uh, and pull teeth out of it and, and get some of the Tiberius. He manages to get most of it in one section and is going to attempt to make a sort of a camo cover for the boat uh, out of the cloaker hide. Um, Keyleth pulls the boat into another section of beach that leads into a second small cave. As the team checks out the little cave, they find that it has—it's it's slightly odd. Uh, all the light that they send in changes to be purple. Uh, after much deciding and debate, Keyleth uh, uses her elemental form to go into the cave through the ground. Uh, in inside, she finds a handful of grix which are worm-like creatures that hunt in packs and attack anything that ventures—and in, and in this case, would attack anything that ventures in the cave. Uh, Scanlan, uh, uh, they then come back out, and while the party is, uh, deciding the best way to get rid of the Grix, uh, Keyleth just collapses the cave. Because she's in her elemental- because she's in her elemental form still. Uh, and this is one of one- this is one of the very rare instances of Vox Machina taking the route of least resistance.
3: <laughs> yep. <laughs>
0: uh we'll We'll see later on how much they dislike doing that but uh, yeah. i i do want to applaud Keyleth right here of 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 actually taking a moment and going, "Wait a second, I can just yeah. uh while everybody else was arguing um before taking a long rest uh Keyleth tips to, to Scry to see if they can find out anything more about kavarn With assistance from Pike was there something you wanted to say
1: uh no, I was thinking of something but carry
0: on. Okay, sorry. I heard the sharp intake of breath and wanted to stop. Yes. Um with assistance from Pike uh through her vision of the black horn, mm-hmm. she follows the energy towards the temple itself and uh fi- and, and and you know, her vision leaps uh, from where they're at over the temple. Uh, atop it is a glass pane with a metal crossbeam holding up a twisted arcane focus uh, which is held in place above the elder brain of the illithid. Uh and uh she can see uh, through the scrying she can see several b- the 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 elder brain and other brains uh that the Illithid bring uh, in a pool uh, in the center of the room um uh, it appears that uh, this is also K'Varn's twisted lab for which making the various stitch abominations um and then uh through her scry she sees the twisted black horn uh and it floats forward attached to the forehead of a floating head that is just one eye and a huge maw of jagged teeth and several eye stalks. Um we uh, and at this point we reveal Kvarn the beholder with the mm-hmm. horn of orcus embedded in his forehead.
1: A- uh the s- plated armor and shit uh yep. holding his holding his body together. Yep.
0: Yep. yep. So so this is the reveal of the the arch nemesis, the reveal of the big bad. Um and I think you know this is probably played out as well as it could be expected. Um, typically that typically the big bad reveal doesn't happen until the people are actually physically in the room. But um, I think actually seeing it when there's still a chance that you might be able to get away provides a little bit more of a tension uh, moment for, for the viewers. What do you guys think?
2: So this is always something that's really tricky for me as a, a you know, a DM storyteller. Um and can be really tricky in narrative narrative storytelling because you want to present your antagonist and and make him or her or them very formidable and impressive, but if you it, it, depending on uh, how you introduce them, it, it, there there are a lot of potential pitfalls because. You can't just introduce them and then have – if you just throw them in front of the, the protagonist, you have to have a reason why a fight's not going to break out. And if a fight does break out and you want them to last longer than that one moment, then they run away or they, 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 they thrash the, the, the protagonist or whatever the case. And each of those can be really tricky to pull off. Um, doing something like this that gives you the opportunity to actually see them. And this helps by the fact that, 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 uh, Matt spent major points of so many of the previous episodes, building up his story bit by bit, Kavarn's Mm -hmm. story, um, and establishing, you know, we 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 would learn about the, the 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 stitch monsters, and then we would learn about the horn and his his Durger minions who were terrified of him, and so on and so forth. Slowly building up to this big reveal, it's done about as well as you can possibly do it, because it's It's a major reveal of this character. you know we we just got the 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 first dialogue from him last week um, through through Queen Alara. And this week, Keyleth actually sees him, and it's one of those great moments with Scrine where you have the opportunity for your antagonist to actually sense that they're there. And have a little bit of interaction that, that really establishes nice tension there. Cause there's that moment of, oh shit, can he see me? Is there a chance that he could do something through this spell to 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 actually affect me? Um it, it, it's really The answer done, to both of
1: which is yes. <laughs>
2: yes. The answer <laughs> in which both cases is yes. Um it's really done well in this point, which is something that particularly impresses me because I've had so many, and this doesn't happen to me all the time, but I've had so many major villains who I establish and and, and spend time building up the characters to, and then the first time he encounters, either do a do a the, the fact that I roll like I roll or whatever the case may be, they're dead and around, and I'm like, well, I guess that was the big bad.
0: See. I, I switched it up and killed off my big bads with even bigger bads. So. <laughs>
3: um,
0: which is a sentence that you yep. guys won't understand unless you're listening to Grand Terra Adventures and you get all the way to the end. So enjoy that ride.
1: <laughs> um. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, for me, it's um, the concept of the antagonist reveal, because there there are plenty of genres where the antagonist is known from the beginning. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean... Uh, Harry Potter is one of those, you know, you're you're barely three chapters in and they've already talked about Voldemort and all this shit, Uh, you know, and seven books later, finally, he gets wrapped up Um, or or other other properties of of similar similar setting. Um, But for something like this, where the antagonist is hidden. um, I think it's much more effective frequently to go for a gradual reveal like matt has built up here um other than well there's something dark in the cave and eventually you get to the right part of the cave where the dark thing is and surprise this is what it is
0: surprise the... beholder no one likes right. surprise beholders
1: right yeah um but that I mean beholders do Right. No, but that. <laughs> no,
0: beholders also don't like surprise beholders.
1: <laughs> Nobody like likes that's...
0: surprise beholders.
1: That's not as effective in building the tension because while the unknown is threatening, a, a completely absent unknown is falling into the the out of sight, out of mind problem of the valley where. Yeah all of a sudden it's like okay yeah no we know that something scary is out there and we'll run into it when we run into it there's a little bit of a cavalier disconnect i think in in the audience mind if if that's the the stance you're taking on it um the prop, the the risk with the gradual reveal is the more you build up the tension you do eventually have to pay for that um and in this case it works because if you want to scare the shit out of any given D D player, drop a beholder on their ass. Um, you know, so it's this was this was one where the the tension payoff was was effective. And I feel it like would've it would have been... been less effective if it had just been your run of the mill crazy wizard or something like that. Even if there was still the potential for it being just as dangerous, it's not as viscerally horrifying as what a gigantic it... floating what if... eyeball.
0: What if it had been a gnome, weird?
1: Could go either way.
0: I find (laughs) that I I find that I find that um, there are two ways you can go with a slow reveal. You can either do the slow reveal and then reveal it to be something truly monstrous and horrifying. Or you can go with a slow reveal and reveal it to be something that is not at all in any way, shape, or form worthy of a slow reveal. Uh those are the only really two ways you can go with it. Anyone yeah, in between I would think you
2: feels merge those.
0: Anything in between feels weird. Um like you, you, you certainly could be something that
2: I you don't, could do the gnome wizard for the initial Oh, okay. It's just that, and then have him be more terrifying than a beholder.
0: No, yeah, no, no. You can you can certainly,
2: surprise beholder.
0: You you can certainly do that. But uh, what I mean is, there has to you have to go in an extreme.
2: Yes. You cannot middle. No, no. You um, can't. You can't. You if you set up something like if you set up a slow reveal, don't return. It mediocre. can't
0: just be an elf. Yeah. It, it has be, to have, be. It has to be the elven father of the two half-elves in the party, or something like that. Like, it it can't be... That's just a dude.
1: Right. Um, Unless you push it all the way to the other end and do, like, the, uh, what was that Buffy episode? Fear Itself? Is that the one where they're...
2: Oh yeah, are sum- yes, summoning the demon in the haunted house and the right demon is and like
1: the- really 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 right and when the demon comes out and he's basically the size of a GI Joe and yes. they step on him right yeah um uh, you know so and and that was a great slow reveal then subverted yeah mm-hmm.
0: yeah uh, which is where I was going with the gnome but with, uh, um, right. but yeah. yeah uh so anyways
1: mm-hmm. um but yeah and there's 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 any number of ways if you're trying to uh do a dramatic villain reveal towards the end um you know if you if you've built up this gradual thing and you know as you're dropping hints or you know having these sort of flash sideways scenes where the group isn't there and you're just narrating something that's happening in a different part of the city once again uh watch my vampire the masquerade chronicle um you know and you're 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 referencing that but at the end it should be consistent, or completely opposite what you've been building up the entire time. If you have just sort of a milk toasty, weak end product, it's not going to pay off the way you're going to want it to.
0: So Kavarn sees Keyleth, um, yep. and uh, taunts her and toys with her, and then locks her in place, uh, keeping her mentally keeping her consciousness there in the room uh while she's unable to retreat from the scry spell. Uh which is another one of these problematic situations all in this kind although in this sense there is absolutely no mistaking that it's a bad thing. Right. Um yeah. uh, this is this is an example of the, the the person who's holding you there against your will regardless of whether or not he's trying to be funny. Um and uh but uh Vax uh Vax slaps her out of the spell
1: um honestly think i i think she wisdom saved her well way out of the spell he just happened to be hitting her in the face at the time <laughs> but uh, you know I,
0: I i combination of the two things she breaks free the spell. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, Dotto. Cla- uh, Clarota gives them some insight into the nature of the building and what their what his people have done and the structure on top is not something that his people had put there uh, after some debate, they decide to move uh, to a small island with some buildings on it to get slightly closer and provide some structure for them to rest in. Grog takes half the group on the boat uh, and the second t- and the second half uh, flies over on the carpet as the boat passes. Grog notices a disturbance in the water and bubbles that come up. He manages to get in the boat uh, uh, he manages to get the boat to land without seeing anything more than that for now. They all land on the beach uh, with the twins and Scanlan heading up the ridge to the structures they saw. And as the three of them approach the main structures, they see, a pit wa- they see a pit walled partially by some jade and marble stone that the temple is made from. Uh, they find a huge campsite with a fire more than 10 feet wide and a pile of furs at least 15 feet long. As Vax examines the bedroll, they feel a huge rumble that sounds like a footfall. And when they turn, they see a large, bald figure with purplish skin and a an naturally large yellow eye. And that's where they end the episode. Uh, so 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 as I was saying previously, you know, uh, there, there, there's these series of of encounters that they've gone through, and let's sort of like totaling up the totaling up the amount of resources that they've spent. They've spent hit points. Uh, Grog I think has spent at least one rage. Um. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh. Uh. Keyleth has spent one of her or has spent two of her uh 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 shape shifting abilities. Uh. Two of her wild shapes. Um, mm-hmm. Tiberius has spent three fifth level spells, um, and, and, spent and, a third level spell. well. Scanlan has spent a couple of fifth level spells and a couple of fourth and a couple of th- third or fourth level spells. Yep. Um, and they've all spent, and, 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 Va- and, and Vex has spent several of her arrows. Um, mm-hmm. I think Percy spent a few bullets as well. Actually, I don't yep. think Percy shot anything.
1: Yeah, he did, but it wasn't an enemy. Hm. He, yeah. uh, I shot the uh, rope to the wall of the cave when he was that's docking right. the boat one time.
0: <laughs> that's right, that's right. Uh, but yeah, so everybody has spent a lot of resources and they're finally getting to a point where they think they're going to rest when <laughs> another big thing comes along. Uh, which is, that's sort of the correct build-up for a uh, 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 small fight, small fight, small fight, small fight, medium-sized fight. <laughs> <laughs> Um, leading up to what will then be the big fight. Yeah. So yeah, uh, this you know this was a combat heavy episode, but there was still several there's still several points on which we could talk about things. Uh, very
3: important. Yeah. And
0: if not, we'll
2: find things to do. Yeah. Oh yeah. You know. Hashtag I like surprise beholder. And, uh, and uh, I'm gonna guys, make that a thing. You're, you're not gonna make that a thing. Um, I will make it a thing, goddammit.
0: And, uh, and and again, as I said earlier, if you guys want to make me force these guys to watch the Star Wars prequels, just let us know in the comments below.
2: Dude, um, anything. I don't <laughs> care.
0: Yeah, but that in particular is, you know... You name it, we'll
2: analyze it. That's something
0: that, you know, people might like. Um, so...
2: I'm gonna try to get a, get a bunch of people to 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 come in to try and get us to watch Fifty Shades of Grey, so I can force you guys to watch it. Because if I've seen it, then everybody
1: else has to suffer with me. I'm not suffering with you yet.
0: I'm not suffering with you even then, because uh, <laughs> 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 I can just read a synopsis.
2: <laughs> no, I don't. Congratulations, I, I, Twilight. There's finally a love story. You're better than. Yep
1: is there god yes <laughs> it's called 50 shades of gray is 50, 50 shades of gray a love storm is more problem it's yes. more problematic
2: oh, based yes on the way it it's is. written
1: it's a it's a romanticized relationship which it is, is a
2: romantic a, drama uh... <laughs>
0: We've been Final Show Films, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, we produce a wide variety of content every day of the week. You can check us out our website at Finalshowfilms.com. You can also check us out our Patreon page at patreon.com slash FS Films and uh all over at four oneia dot com. Jeremy, tell us a little bit about four mania dot com, you horrible human being, you <laughs>
2: <laughs> For Otomania.com, do you want to know what the uh, how the latest episode of Arrow turned out? Would you like to know which major independent wrestling company WWE's in secret negotiations to buy? Would you like to know uh, how the the latest uh, um, uh, new song reviews are uh, that come out? Would
0: you like to know uh, how many knots I put in the noose after watching Fifty Shades of Grey?
2: Yeah, <laughs> um. We cover all of that. We we are uh, covered pretty much everything that, that that geeks could be interested in: movie, TV, a little bit of comics, music, uh, games, mixed martial arts, wrestling, and final show films. Podcasts. Check us out forwomanmania dot com.
0: And I'll give you a hint on the number of knots in that rope. It's more than one. <laughs> um, <laughs> so yeah. Thank you, thank thanks for Romania for hosting us up there. Uh, also, thank you to our patrons, uh, Chris Comfort and Antitonic, our two twenty five our two twenty five dollars supporters or twenty five dollars tier supporters, uh, and thank you to all of our patrons because uh, we have reached the one hundred dollar a month mark on the Patreon, uh, which means that starting on April first, we will be uh, divvying out our podcasts into. Uh, a separate feeds so the Natch 20 and uh, the Natch 20 will have its own feed Critical Thinking the, the one you're listening to right now will have its own feed and our actual plays will have their own feed Uh, the, the aggregate feed will still remain and so the, the that what you're listening to right now the aggregate feed will remain where it's at uh, we're just going to spawn a few more feeds to, to go alongside it so that you can filter to your heart's content uh, so yeah uh, thank you all very much for listening. Uh, please give us a comment on, on on wherever you're finding this. Let us know what you thought. Uh, let us know what you think about other opportunities, and you can also find us at our various Twitter handles. Uh, I've been John, and with me today has been these other two guys. So, we appreciate you all, and we'll see you all next time. Say goodbye, other two guys.
2: <laughs> Bye, everybody. Hashtag surprise beholder.
0: Goodbye.